This is my family, mental illness, and me. My name is Pamela Jenkins, and I'm a researcher at the Mental Health Foundation. My mum, Irene, lived with a mental illness. There were voices only she could hear, and she could quickly switch from feeling very high to very low. No one ever talked about it with me when I was young, even though I knew my mum was often unwell. When I was in my 20s, that's when a psychiatrist told me that my mum had schizoaffective disorder. Sadly, I lost her quite recently to COVID-19. But even though she's gone, her mental health will always be a huge part of my life. In each of these podcasts, I'll speak to someone else whose parent has or had a mental illness. In the UK, there are at least 3 million children of parents with mental illness. If you're one, it's really important that you know you're not alone. My Family, Mental Illness and Me is a podcast series from the charity Our Time with support from the Mental Health Foundation. Our Time champions and supports children of parents with mental illness and their families. We've put links to more information in the show notes. This time, I'm speaking to a director and producer whose acclaimed documentary film, Irene's Ghost, is about his search for information about the mother he never knew. My name's Ian Cunningham. I'm a documentary filmmaker. A couple of years ago, I made a film called Irene's Ghost which is about my journey to understand the life of my mother who had postnatal psychosis and um, a subsequent bipolar disorder diagnosis. Thank you so much for being here um, and telling us your story today. My mum was also called Irene. So I guess just to start off with, could you tell me a little bit about your Irene? Well, my Irene was my mum, but to me, she was called Irene. Uh, She wasn't my mum for most of my childhood. When I was around, just coming up to three years old, my mum passed away. And a few years after that, my dad remarried. And I guess um, the family was remade in in that way. And and nobody really talked about Irene. She wasn't mentioned in our family. It was um, a bit of a taboo subject. I had knowledge that she'd existed and I had that kind of memory um, of her but there wasn't really any way to kind of express that so it was only really when I got a bit older that I I started to learn a bit about her so when I was 18 uh, I was given a box of her things uh, which had photographs in the first photographs that I'd seen of of me as a baby and of her and and I was told a bit about her but like I say she was always Irene to me she wasn't mum at that point so really, as a child, I didn't know anything about her. And the the film that I made really was my, documented the attempts that I made to get to know her and to sort of find out about her and, and to learn about her. So I, I can tell you now, with the, the benefit of that experience, what she was like, but it was something that I didn't know very much about until relatively recently. So I know she was, you know, a very fun-loving person, who was kind of shy, but not scared of trying new things. She loved dancing. She loved holidays with her friends. And, you know, really the journey that I went on to kind of get to know her was about collecting those like stories from friends and that kind of thing to to fill in those gaps about what she was like. And do you have any memory at all from, I realise you were only three, so likely not, but do you have any recollection of her at all? I tried so many times to find her face, but I couldn't really see her. I just knew that she was there. So as a kid, 
you have this kind of slightly wild imagination. And so I used to see her in the full moon or Hmm. a thistle seed, which is like a dandelion clock, you know, when they kind of blow on the wind. I used to think that was her. And all of this, you know, these peopled kind of world that I lived in stayed with me to adulthood. You know, I guess some of those things you just leave behind in childhood. But for me, because I guess that was my mum to me, I kept them. So that that was the sort of sense of her that I had of this um, presence, really, rather than a proper memory. And when you then, as an adult, went on that journey that you document in Irene's Ghost, what did you discover in addition to the fun-loving mum? What else did you discover about her? Just to say the thing that I guess sparked it was having my own daughter and having a child, I think, makes you look re-look at your own childhood and and those experiences. And I started to wonder what it would have been like to lose a parent at that age and started to see what a three-year-old could see, which was, you know, they're quite fully formed individuals, really, at three. And so I went to try and find friends of my mum at first and, and family members and just to try and ask them about her. And I, I knew nothing about what had happened really when she'd passed away either, other than people had said it was a coma. So a lot of it was shrouded in mystery, really. So I guess in the first instance, I wanted to find a lot of those things that I've already mentioned about her as a personality. And then I wanted to know, you know, really what had happened because it seemed a bit strange and, and everybody had a different story. Some people said it, it was something to do with her blood or um, she'd had a stroke or a heart attack. You know, there were so many different versions of it that it didn't seem to make a great deal of sense to me. Was that what made you want to do the documentary in the first place? Was it more the suspicion or was it more the, the wanting to know her? As a person? I think there was a couple of things. One of the main things why I went wanted to do it was that I wanted to... I felt like in some somehow she'd been unfairly treated. She'd not been given her due, you know. She wasn't talked about. She wasn't remembered. Yeah. And so I wanted to make something that was almost a memorial to her. So I wanted to find out who she was and tell people about it, which is, you know, uh, what a film can do. And then as I started to discover more about what had happened, I felt like it could be something that might help people because the more I looked into it, the more the kind of mental illness started to become something that seemed quite prominent, but was something that people found very difficult to talk about. So I had an aunt who started to tell me a little bit about um, some of the things that had happened to my mum when when I was born, that she was seeing things and um, writing notes and and that kind of thing. And and so then I started to look for some some of her medical records myself and bit by bit started to unpick some of this. And my dad then, m- myself and my dad, we never really talked about it and we started to have conversations about it. Yeah, eventually that led to this discovery that she'd had an illness called postpartum psychosis, mm-hmm. which at the time I knew, I knew nothing about, but which is a quite serious mental illness that comes on very soon after birth and involves hallucinations and delusional behavior and lack of sleep and you know lots and lots of different effects uh, and can induce catatonic behavior so where you're very very still or you don't respond or don't communicate so yeah. i guess that's partly why people thought there was a coma or something like that related to it 
Did her mental illness play a part in her death in the end? She was in hospital for a good nine months or so in in psychiatric hospital and, and treated with what were called heroic doses of drugs, which were kind of cardiotoxic and an ECT, which was mm-hmm. um, all part of the same sort of first line of treatment at the time for that kind of thing. And then she was well for maybe a year and a half where she was looking after me and and then had a relapse of her illness and went back into psychiatric hospital and she passed away from cardiac arrest in psychiatric unit of um, the hospital. So as far as I can understand it, the illness plus the drugs plus the kind of stress and physical and mental of, of it all led to that outcome. So I think, you know, it's it's something that can happen a lot. I guess you would know mental illness is associated with much higher rates of physical ill health and cardiac ill health as well. Absolutely. And the side effects of the medication have a lot to do with that. Um, my mum had chronic renal failure because of the, um, now let me get this drug right, lithium in the end. That was why she went into hospital in the end, but sadly got COVID in hospital. So um, uh, it's 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 all it's odd to me to to have gone through all of that and had the the mental illness and gone through all the physical side effects of that as well and the medication and then for COVID to have been the flaming COVID honestly, but um, yeah. yeah. So I understand what you're saying and she also had uh, postpartum psychosis. She had schizoaffective disorder since before I was born, but the pregnancy and the birth you know, really made that quite significant. And she was also in hospital for the first sort of six to nine months after I was born. So, um, yeah, I I understand. And it's just interesting um, for you to learn that so much later on, you know, nobody to have spoken about it with you at all. Did you you ask, you know, you said everything was shrouded in secrecy. Was that just surrounding your mum's condition and her illness or just your mum full stop? Nobody spoke of her at all. Both of those things, yeah. So everything to do with my mum. It was something that I had attempted to talk about a couple of times, but it was very clear that it wasn't something anybody wanted to talk about and it was very painful for my dad to talk about. I got on very well with my stepmum, mm-hmm. but she didn't want to talk about it. And there was no other family members from my mum's side. They all kind of left the picture a little bit, so... I talked to my nan a little bit and she used to tell me some snippets of things which only fueled my imagination really. She the only couple of things I heard from my nan were that my she used to pull the heads off my soldiers and, and laugh about it, which like, you know, toy soldiers. Yeah. So as a kid I think I had this idea of her as this very fantastical figure. And actually when I found out about her, she was just a very ordinary person, like we all we all yeah. are. And um It's just, I think, you know, all families have these things where you build up walls around certain subjects and you you all know not to kind of go there Mm -hmm. for whatever reason because of sensitivities and it might not even be mental illness. And I think it was just one of those things that was just very clearly taboo. Do you think you had an understanding when you were young of what mental illness was? Do you think as you were growing up? I think it's quite hard to say because... I've learned so much recently over the course of doing this and through my own issues as well. I've had some problems myself with anxiety, health anxiety and things like that. And so I don't really think I did have a much understanding at all when I was a kid. 
ironically, my stepmother used to look after people who were living in the community with quite serious mental health problems. And so I was kind of aware of, I guess, bipolar illness and schizophrenia mm. through that. But I don't think I really had much of a picture of it. And I certainly had never heard of postpartum psychosis or the kind of uh, trigger that birth can be for mental illness in women and or any of that, I, th- I don't think. Sorry, I really feel like I need to talk to you about your mum. No, uh, not because, not at all. Uh, like you. So it must be very fresh. Like you, you've lost your mum quite recently, then. Yeah, that was in February. Yeah, so oh, we are I'm in sorry. June. Yes, thank you. Gosh, it was you know. Yeah, it was hard, but it's yeah. funny actually speaking to you, <laughs> particularly as one of the contributors, is it's a lot closer. I guess your mum's condition. Um, even just the fact her name was Irene, I know it sounds really silly. It's yeah. just a lot more, um, in terms of the illness itself, I can sort of relate to. Um, and it's just, yeah, that I can't even begin to imagine learning about that sort of after the fact. You know, obviously I learned a lot as I grew up and as I got older and nobody spoke much to me about it at all. In fact, nobody told me what my mum's illness was. But I experienced the illness and you know you've not experienced the illness sort of firsthand you've learned about it sort of laterally so what sort of effect has that had on you do you think I, I think it's something I always carried and I just like there was a baby book in the box of things that I got and there was writing on it that was a bit kind of muddled and things about God and baby God and very kind of muddled writing and so I guess I'd had a suspicion but I didn't really know anything about mental illness to sort of patch together what that might mean I'd always carried this idea of my mum as being slightly different in my head so I knew there was something that wasn't right but I wasn't really sure what it was so I guess learning it later explained a lot of things to me and I think although I didn't experience it as a child to the extent of having memory the memories that I have are memories of of losing her which are very very strong yeah um you know that period from sort of four four to five where you probably most people can't remember anything from that I I remember vividly you know I can remember nightmares about hospitals and about things being on fire and my family dying in hospitals and very vivid things about that period and when my stepmom went in to have my sister I cried and I was eating mints and potatoes I could tell you what I was eating because I remember that moment because I was worried she wouldn't come out again when she went into hospital and I think children need a way to express those feelings because otherwise you do carry them into adulthood and that's not necessarily a terrible thing but it can become something that then morphs into something else and I think in me it did slightly because as as an adult I did develop you know, a, a lot of worries about health because of what had happened to my mum with this unknown yeah. element of it. And so it would have helped a lot to have known earlier. And and as I was saying, so she looked after me as a, as a child. And when I started talking to friends, they were saying, well, you know, she used to leave you in the cafe and forget that you were there and take you on these long walks that you, she shouldn't really have taken you on. And so I, I think even though you don't necessarily form a memory of that 
she clearly was still a little bit unwell at that time and and that goes into you as a child you know you kind of feel that uh, even if you don't have a direct memory of it yeah they're the formative years that's what they call them isn't it they're yeah these things and I think children do have memory from a very young age I was speaking to somebody previously about that and I was about three when I first started to develop anxiety coming from anxiety around my mum even though she was you know very loving towards me as I'm sure your mother was towards you children pick up on that that sense of things not being quite right and the parent not being quite well and absolutely you know I I really remember worrying a lot and and health anxiety interestingly enough which has (laughs) hung about (laughs) Um, yes so it's, it's not the best thing to have during a pandemic. No, it's definitely not. It's definitely not. It's interesting as well. Um, sort of the anxiety, it, it often can come up when certain situations maybe stir something up. Um, and it's interesting, yeah. we started the call and when we first spoke and I said to you that I had my vaccine on Saturday, which I did, and I'm not feeling fantastic after it, which I'm not. Now that we're talking, I feel a lot more relaxed, but I wonder if knowing that my mum might be a bigger feature in our conversation than she has been in previous ones, <laughs> maybe was making me yeah. feel a bit anxious. And if actually some of that feeling a wee bit ropey at the beginning of the call was maybe being um, influenced a wee bit by actually this conversation. <laughs> if there's anything that you kind of feel uncomfortable talking about, just let me know. No, not um, at all. I mean, I am asking people to come here and share their stories. I am... Um, very open the whole idea is to talk about it it's just yeah. <laughs> you know yeah it's hard absolutely it's hard. of course it is so one thing that you'll have had to deal with in a different way is that conversation in your family about things happening when you're a child and and dealing yeah. with that and learning about it that conversation for me has happened over the last sort of 10 years five sort of five to 10 years yeah. so my first conversations with my dad about it and what it was like for him to experience that and how difficult it was and and why that sort of it's stigma really why that stigma exists and why we don't talk about these things and I think for for my dad it was very much a protective thing for me and for him he just wanted to protect me from it yeah so he thought the best way to do that was to not talk about it because yeah there's this obviously strange fear about mental illness that somehow you'll catch it if you talk about it. And, <laughs> yeah. um, and I think that it's bred a little bit in the family. So it was a very therapeutic thing to start to talk about it with him and with, with my other family members and then for them to talk to each other. And that in itself helped my anxiety, I think, just as an adult, you know, helped me understand because that's, I think, you know, understanding is partly how you can help those things, isn't it? The more you understand, the less anxious you become. So, Absolutely. Um, Not talking is what makes anxiety worse. And sometimes I think it's really difficult to to know what is making you anxious and what those worries are without talking about them. And that's especially important for children. You know, I loved my mum very much and we had a great bond, but relationship was very stressful for me and 
it wasn't until I was a bit older that I was able to articulate that because my anxiety got to a point where I couldn't cope with it. And in talking to, you know, I was about 13 or 14 at the time, and I spoke to a psychologist, somebody, you know, completely objective. And it was only through conversations with him that I realised that the anxiety was stemming from constantly worrying about my mum and whether yeah. that was worrying directly about her or whether that was worrying about other people's reactions to her. It was just sort of all-consuming and I hadn't really spoken to anybody about it. I didn't understand it myself. So, And my dad had passed away when I was um, just turned 11. So I wasn't living with my mum. I was seeing her at weekends. And that sort of contributed even more because I wasn't seeing her every day. So I was worried about her when I wasn't there. And, you know, so it, it builds up. And so often I think for people it gets to crisis point. And what I'd really like is for that not to happen with children of parents with mental illness. You know, if we speak about it more, like you're saying about Absolutely. your own experience, you know, even though, you know, you didn't see your mama when you were an older child with her illness, you were aware of it on some level. And having yeah. spoken to about it might have alleviated some of that underlying anxiety and all those thoughts you were having as a young boy. I definitely think it would have. And, you know, I, I catastrophized a lot and used to imagine if I, I accidentally walked in front of a car or, you know, like whenever I was in a situation, I would always look at a danger. And I think all of that is partly because of that very heightened sense of trauma that you get from being in those situations yeah. as a young child. And if I'd understood more about that, then I could have done something about it a bit. And I didn't really. And I think, you know, it can lead to slightly more reckless behavior when you get into your teenage years and because you're trying to deal with something that you don't really understand yeah. and so absolutely talking about it helps and and it's a strange thing but when I first started to understand what the illness was that my mum had and what was told about it and then I met mums through this charity that I was working with yeah. called Action on Postpartum Psychosis when I met children of those women I did suddenly feel a kind of kinship and a sort of, ah, this is like people who understand things about me that other people don't. And yeah. that's probably a huge inflation of what is happening. But it, it did feel like a kind of really helpful thing to talk to other people who, who understood, who'd been through similar experiences. Oh, yeah, um, absolutely. What age were you when that happened, when you spoke to them? I was in my 30s, so, um, <laughs> yeah. so I was very old at that point. But it was enough to kind of know, and, and I was talking to kind of adult children. Yeah, absolutely. It just really helped for some, some reason, mm -hmm. I think. It's been wonderful talking to people on this podcast, and including yourself. It definitely does help, and I just, yeah, I wish, I guess, that that had been an option sooner. I'm going to have to go and get a tissue I'm so sorry. I'll be too. Don't apologise. This is cool. I'm just. I don't want you to be upset. Oh, sorry. Probably why I'm finding it a wee bit more emotional is that it isn't spoken about. Like I, you know, I think it's the not speaking about it that contributes to that. So 
having this level and depth of conversation, hearing somebody else share about their mother in a similar situation, I've never really done that. That's why I'm emotional, not because it's, you know, it's wonderful to hear. I'm so, you know, keen to to talk about my own experience as well, because I never have, and I think it's important um, to talk about these quite serious and acute mental illnesses. It's just it can be when you haven't done it often, it can be uh, just, you know, emotional and make you a wee bit teary. Absolutely. Um, but you chose to do that through, well, I guess you didn't know what you were getting into at the beginning. You didn't know what the outcome would be. So um, talk us through that a, a little bit and sort of the impact that what that process of the documentary and um, the outcome the impact that that's had on you so yeah I'm I'm sort of my background is in documentary so I just always felt like I wanted to make something about my mum to sort of tell people about her even if it was just that she was an ordinary person but that she deserved to be remembered so I wanted to kind of capture these memories that people had because we all live on in other people's heads in different ways and so there's a sort of facsimile of us out there in the world and um that's what I was trying to get you know I met her best friend who I'm very close to now and my my kids are as well and I met family members of mine that I'd never met you know that were related to my mum and that I'm close to now so that experience was really very very powerful and the experience as I've, I've mentioned the experience of talking to um, my family was also quite a therapeutic thing and and to be able to tell my dad what had happened because I don't think he really even now understood until we we went through this process together what had happened like at the time I don't think he had a full understanding of it what do you think he and thought oh sorry I just wondered what you thought I he think thought. yeah I just don't think that doctors tell people told people in the same way then as mm. they do now what is happening and I think he just thought something very bad had happened to his wife and yeah. he just hadn't got a clue what it was or and she wasn't making sense and she was talking all the time mm. and wouldn't sleep and you know when I, I spoke to my dad first about that what I thought it was I went back to his house and I saw he'd written down the the name postpartum psychosis he'd never heard it before so it's something that he was learning uh, as well and I think as the process of filming went on, I sort of started to understand how people just don't talk about this, th these kind of things. You know, all of the people I spoke to seem to have their own story of mental illness somehow and their own connection to it. And I think we're all arm's length from it, really, without yeah. talking about it. And so once the film was finished and started to be shown in cinemas, that was quite a powerful thing because a communal experience in a dark room with people is, is a good way to start conversations. And after every screening, people would stand up and talk to me about something that had happened in their family or that wasn't spoken about or, um, you know, an issue with mental illness that they'd had trouble articulating and often about their dads or that issue of communication, because I think men find it particularly difficult to talk to each other about this kind of stuff as well so I really found a lot of um joy in that really strangely just that idea that you could create this network or you could reach out to people and through those conversations you know 
people, so many people came up to me after and said, I've got to go home and talk to my dad about X, Y, Z. Yeah. Or I need to call my mum. And I felt like it was having this kind of quite positive effect. Um, because sometimes you do need a film, a book, a thing on telly that you see somebody talking to you about something to give you permission to start that conversation. Because I think that is the difficult part. It's the beginning of the conversation. We all know it would be helpful in some way to talk about things, but you sort it's very easy to start to sort of not go through with it or to say, oh, well, I'll leave that to another time or something like that. And I think there's a reticence about that conversation because until you know, I think there's the fear and it's the stigma that you spoke about before. There's that fear of talking and opening up. And what if that person doesn't understand or can't relate? So it's almost like you need somebody to show their hand first before you can then yeah. show yours and and relate. And what would be fantastic as well is to get to a point where we can have these conversations openly with people even if they don't share the experience. Sometimes that's where a lot of the pressure comes from. I think partly because the conversation around things about mental illness is changing, it's slightly easier, but it's it tends to be less around the, the sort of more difficult end of the mental illness spectrum and more about sort of the touchy-feely end of mm-hmm. the spectrum. So it's still hard talking about psychosis and schizophrenia and those kind of things. And the stigma around that seems a stronger thing. Yeah. Um, the great difficulty in communicating about mental illness yeah, is trying to get people to be empathetic about something they, they can't understand. And it's only through representation that that will change, you know, through people seeing that, what it's really like through um, either talking to people or through, you know, representation in films and things. And and that's still miles off. Honestly, some of the films, even children's films, the language and the portrayal of people with mental illness, I don't know how they get away with it. I don't, I, I don't know how it's not more of an issue, how it's not spoken about more. Because I don't see any change in that, actually. Yeah, and this the history of it and the asylum and the kind of shorthand and all of that is is too strong in that, that kind of representation. And just as a sort of little aside, I, I lived, when I made the film, on an estate that was built around an old um, asylum, uh, which has now turned into flats. And the last scene of the film is where Isla, my daughter, is riding a bike around uh, the fields there and um, there's a sign which says there's 3,000 unmarked graves there and um, in the in the meadows and that's 3,000 people whose families you know I'm not going to say abandon them but the, the society deemed them to be not part of the rest of us and that history still exists you know that has a it has a knock-on effect I think in some ways um we haven't really dealt with that properly. No. I. So my mum was still very much part of my life. After my dad passed away and she wasn't able to take care of me by herself, I lived with my aunt and uncle. And um, I would see my mum at weekends and she would come there for tea. And, you know, she was still involved, but there was also still a separation where I sort of lived this separate life with her at the weekends and during the holidays and the stigma and not talking about it so much. And as time went on and I got older, it's just that feeling of like, um, 
she somehow was forgotten even though she was still here and I guess that's a guilt that I carry she just sort of lost I feel like I don't know she just deserves she was such a good person she was so wonderful and I just feel like she really deserves to be spoken about which is also partly the thinking behind doing this and talking with other people yeah she was forgotten for a really long time and I feel like I was part of that and it wasn't right because she was really spectacular and I feel really sorry for anybody who didn't meet her because <laughs> she was a real <laughs> gem. She was a real gem and I'm so sad for her the way that things panned out and yeah, I just... It's nice to be able to remember people because so often I think with mental illness people are forgotten when they're still here. You know, yeah. not completely forgotten, but they're not, they've not got the same, they're not afforded the same identity because they become their mental illness and they're treated Absolutely. they're treated as though that's who they are and that's just that's just not fair. And guilt is another thing that everybody seems to feel around this my dad felt guilty and I think I felt guilty and somehow there's this idea of responsibility somehow that you pull onto yourself that just isn't really a thing mm -hmm. and that's a difficult thing to let go of and and the, me the memories of my mum that meant the most to me I think were of her as vibrant and funny and enjoying herself and yeah. all of those things that people still do when they have mental illnesses. Yeah, uh, exactly. It sounds like, maybe it's in the name Irene. My mum was apparently always the life and soul of any party. She was a right hoot. Sounds like your mum was yeah. as well. <laughs> yes. Yeah, definitely must be the Irenes. Yeah. Yeah, my mum used to laugh a lot because she could hear what, what she was hearing. Um, who, well, often it was God. It's interesting, you said about your mum's diary, um, that, or the yeah. book, the baby book, and talking about God. I, I think that that might be quite a common um, voice to hear. So for my mum, she would talk about that often. But uh, she also used to laugh a lot. And uh, sometimes I would just laugh with her. Just, it's just, we would yeah. just laugh. I didn't know why we were laughing, but we would just laugh. And that's, you know... That's the sense that I got from my mum was from my nan talking about it. My nan was um, quite, a, I just don't want to cast any sort of, she was lovely, I love my nan, but she was, <laughs> had quite a hard upbringing in Scotland mm -hmm. and uh, she called a spade a spade. <laughs> she, yeah, she used to say that my mum was funny and I think she meant it in different, various different ways, but all of the stories that I was told about it were about it being funny yeah. and I guess that is how it comes across to certain people. Was that your dad's yeah. mum then? Yes, it was my dad's mum, yeah. My mum's mum and her family were not around, really. Um, after she'd passed away, they all sort of seemed to disappear. And actually, that once I started to research and make the film and get to know those people a bit more, there's been a lot of mental illness in that side of the family and people who'd found it quite difficult to kind of cope with certain circumstances. So um, I think that it was just a big um, catalyst for that family to, for, yeah. you know, to start to break up a little bit. And were they close with your mum? Did they have a good relationship with her? 
um, her family. Yeah. Um, yeah, she she was doted on by her dad, and um, but he'd been quite a violent man, and so I think some of the childhood experiences she'd had were maybe not great and um, may have contributed to her later illness. But um, there was, you know, her auntie had been in um, an asylum as it was then for 30 years and there was other kind of episodes of postnatal illness of type, certain types. So, Mm -hmm. um, So it seemed like there was, yeah... Um, and that's that's another th- I think part of having familial mental illness is like that fear that you have of like what effect will it have on me and I think it's only really understanding and conversation that can explain that and help you feel less anxious about that because you know there isn't it's not a directly hereditable thing it's it's a much more complicated picture than that exactly. but I think as a child you might be worried about that kind of thing so having you know, good conversation with people with knowledge is a useful thing. Absolutely. Um, and starting that conversation early, like we were saying before, and because that um, that worry can be about, you know, about the parent themselves, as we spoke about, or like you say, about developing anything yourself. And if everybody just keeps quiet, parents, family, doctors, I just think a child's mind can just run away with itself and um it would be and and so often that's so right just because a a parent has a mental illness does not mean that you will have a mental illness now that you're a father how does the knowledge of your mum's mental illness affect you now it's helped a lot to just inform me so it was, like I said, it was when Isla was born, really, I guess. I started to think about it because I knew something had gone wrong when I was born. And then as I started to learn about it, Isla was really involved in the film because I wanted to tell her that I had, because she at that point didn't know. Mm-hmm. And and so she didn't know until she was about six that, you know, I had another mother. My mum deserved to be remembered and thought about and talked about in the same way that anybody else was. And I felt in some ways that her mental illness had contributed to the reason that she wasn't. And yeah. um, and bringing that into the light and talking to my daughter about it and taking her to some of the places we went mm-hmm. and talking to her about my mom and who she was and what she did was all part of that um, process. And, you know, she talks about her now as Grandma Irene and... Mm. And Irene's best friend writes to Isla. And so there's all these lovely connections that came out of it. Yeah. Um, and my dad has pictures of us in his house now oh. that he didn't have. And all of that stuff doesn't happen overnight. It's mm-hmm. a very difficult thing. But yeah, um, it's about not erasing those lives, I think. The charity for the families who've been through postpartum psychosis did a family day so she was just playing with other kids and I think just that in itself allowed us to start those conversations and and it's not anything heavy you don't have to go into huge amounts of detail I just think it's good to equip children with the knowledge that these things can happen and to try and build a bit of resilience I suppose 
Yeah, um, absolutely. I might actually have to separately bend your ear about how you did that because I really think I might be failing terribly at doing that with my older son, who's who we ate on Saturday. He has been asking questions about it um, since my mum died. So we did talk about yeah. the fact that Gran had, you know, mental illness and what that meant. But it's a very tricky conversation to have with a child and actually then gives some insight into why it might have been so tricky for my dad and for my family to have it with me and to have it in a way that doesn't then generate anxiety in them because he now will occasionally say, oh, I'm worried I'll have mental illness. Well, I get mental illness. Yeah. And it's, it's just such a delicate balance of being open and being honest and trying to normalise it a little with not making it something that then gives them the fear. <laughs> or, yeah, you know. well, I absolutely don't want to give the impression that I know exactly what I'm doing with that because, <laughs> you know, none of us do really with parenting, do we? But I think I think just having the conversation in itself mm-hmm. and just that exposure to people in their family is enough to give them that knowledge. And yeah, it is a fine line. The more that they understand that these things can happen and, and the reasons why, then I think that's partly what... And of course, you can't answer all of those questions either, but um, it just equips them with a bit more knowledge then. Ian, thank you so, so much for being here today, honestly, for coming to talk to me. The movie was amazing, your documentary, and it's just that you've agreed to do this has just been an honour. So thank you so much. No, I really appreciate it. And I think, you know, these are the kind of conversations that I think can be really helpful because sometimes you do need to hear someone else talking about it to sort of set something off in your own mind. So thanks for sharing as well. Ian Cunningham, director of Irene's Ghost. Thank you so much to Ian for coming to speak with me. It was absolutely wonderful and, if I'm honest, quite emotional. You can find Irene's Ghost on lots of different streaming platforms. Amazon Prime and all the usual places. Just Google Irene's Ghost to get lots of different options. Visit ourtime.org.uk for support and resources for children and families affected by parental mental illness. You can follow them on social media at Our Time Charity and we've also put lots more links and places to find information and support in the show notes. Also, if you feel like you're struggling with mental health or you've been affected by anything in this episode, it's really important you speak to someone. There are links to help in the show notes, but also you can contact your GP, the Samaritans on 116123 or Childline 0800 1111. Thank you so much for being with us today. Subscribe to our feed so you get future episodes automatically downloaded. And if you know someone who'd benefit from hearing these stories we're sharing, please let them know we're here. That's really important. We really want people to know that they're not alone. This is a Bespoken Media production with music and sound design by Joe Cox. See you next time.